You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Book of Philippians, chapter 1. We're going to read today seven, verses 7 through 11. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and just all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Wade. Well, we kicked this series off last Sunday, and um, I, I am still very, very excited about uh, just what God is going to do and how he is going to speak to all of us through this particular series over the summer months. And we are taking it slow, and we're looking at it a bit in depth, um, and uh, we want very much to, uh, to hear God, hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us during this time. Um, let me just recap for you very, very quickly. Last Sunday, uh, we, we began the series really emphasizing that our theme is unique in this book of Philippians. We're talking about doing transitions well, being able to go through the transitions of life, uh, big ones and small ones, uh, really, really well. And uh, we talked about that in the sense of the, sort of our theme verse came from verse 6 and, and the idea that, that what God begins, he brings to completion or he finishes. So God is a beginner, but he is also a finisher. But the issue for us is that there are a lot of things between beginnings and finishings. Uh, and a lot of those things are done successfully when, they are, when we walk through various transitions in our life and we do those transitions really, really well. And it seems here that Paul speaks to the church at Philippi about some areas of growth and maturity. And these are places where we feel like if you can grab a hold of these places in, in, in the book of Philippi and hold on to them and let them grow you and mature you, it will be invaluable to you through the various transitions that you're going through in life. And uh, we talked last week about how Paul was sort of saying, these are things that I'm very thankful for, and yet we look at them in this context of transitions and see how they can affect us and how they can challenge us to grow. Um, And number one was that Paul was very thankful, very, very thankful about the fellowship or the partnership uh, that he had with the, the, the the church at Philippi in the gospel. And remember, we talked just a little bit about how that this idea of fellowship might be much different than our original ideas or concepts or experiences with fellowship where it's more potluck and that sort of thing, which is really great. And we would never want to lose that dimension of fellowship in the body of Christ. We actually want to continue to build that. But this, this partnership goes much deeper. It is a partnership or a fellowship that we have in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we are getting together and as we are sharing our lives with each other, there needs to be some really intentional efforts to sharing the gospel within our neighborhood, within the city, and beyond. the second thing that Paul was so thankful for was this idea of sanctification, 
of, of God working deep work within all of us. And, and we realized last Sunday that it's very important for us as we are growing and expanding in the neighborhood and beyond as we move to the new facility that we are a church of people who are pure and holy before God, that we are a people who are living out holiness and righteousness and that we are a standard within the community and, and that we ourselves transition through all of this sanctification process well so that we may be effective and have an effective witness and testimony uh, in the community. And the third thing that we talked about last week was this partnership in grace, all of us growing in the grace of God together, all of us progressively growing and changing and becoming all that God would have us to be. And so we sort of identified a a number of those sort of transition areas, if you will, uh, in closing last week, and we said... Basically, that that the immature starts to transition to mature and the receiver, the person who's always getting suddenly becomes the giver now and and the critic transforms into the encourager, if you will. And compassion replaces this sense of judging and judgments upon people and things and situations. Healing actually cures dis-ease in the body as we move and as we grow and as we mature together and ultimately we become life-giving and that overcomes dead religion in the body of Christ. And these are all aspects of our growing together and maturing together as a body. And so what I want to do today is pick up, I actually want to go back a couple of verses here. I had um, Wade read verses 7 and 8 for you this morning. We covered that last week, but I want to just, just kind of pick up there and transition into verses 9 through 11 this morning and talk to you uh, a little bit more about the richness of a relationship with God and with one another and how we can transition out of, of less into more, if, if you will. And Paul, in, in this particular passage, he, he obviously sort of says to us, in some way, I mean, I think you can pick it up as you read it, that he really has a heart for these people in Philippi. I mean, he, he really is carrying them in his heart. He really loves this church. He loves what is happening in this church. He yearns for them. He desires to be with them. So, so there's this real sense of a, a, a really abiding, deep love that's going on here between the Apostle Paul and between this church here. You know, and, and when, you, when you love someone, you will pray for them. You, you, will, you will love them and you will carry them. In, in the Old Testament, the, um, the, the Hebrew high priest wore this very costly sort of uh, shoulder garment. It was called an ephod, and, uh, and it, it basically hung over the heart of the priest, and it contained a breastplate, and that breastplate had 12 very precious stones, and they were set in gold, and on, the, on them were the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were engraved, if you will, on this breastplate. And so the high priest literally would wear these garments when he performed the high priestly duties. So, so he, he sort of, in a sense, carried the people on his heart. He, just, he literally carried the 12 tribes on his heart when he went about in the holy place doing uh, the work and praying to the Lord. And, and you kind of get this sense with Paul that this is how Paul is. This is how his heart is. It is to carry the churches. 
You know, he very much longs for these churches and he carries them out of a deep love and a deep affection. And what we see happening in a lot of his writings as he does this is he begins to pray for them. And this would be a challenge that I would lay before you and I that we would develop this same kind of love, the, the Father's love, that would compel us to pray that we would carry not only one another, but that we would carry the lost in such a way that we, have, we develop and we have a great love for lost people to the point that it compels us to carry them. And we carry them in prayer. We carry them in intercession, much like Paul carried this church. And I would challenge us that we would do that with one another, that we would develop such a love for one another that we would be compelled to carry each other. In particular, carry one another in prayer. You know, there's a lot of times you hear the struggle or the problem that someone else is, is, is engulfed in or they're carrying themselves. And the first instinct might be, you know, I, I got to back away from that. I, I can't carry that for those people. I can't, I can't handle that. I can't take care of them. I can't be their parents. I can't be uh, this or that or the other. But we can pray for one another. And I would encourage us that we become a church that is constantly praying one for another as a body of believers. This is a gift you can give to each other. This is a gift that, that we can receive from one another. We can experience this time together. Um, I've, I've talked about this a number of times, but this is, this is where Dave and I have landed in our Monday morning prayer. We come in here on Monday morning and we pray for about three hours and we literally bring a list of all of you. All of your names are on a list uh, that, is, that is in our computer and we print it out and, and we sit it here and, and we take turns. We actually use a microphone. We actually turn the sound system on. We use a microphone. We speak out into the atmosphere. All of your names get spoken on Monday morning. Uh, and we pray for all of you. Now, some of you have caught on to that. And so we get a text every once in a while or an email or on Sunday morning. You just whisper something in our ear. We got it. All right. And we got you. We are covering you. And, and here's what's happened as we have been praying. Of course, we did this out of love for you and out of love for Life Church and out of our love for the Lord. But ultimately, as we have begun to pray for you, we have developed a greater love for you. Our love has grown out of this exercise in prayer where we are calling you by name and we are caring about you in detail through the spirit of prayer. And so I want us very much to see that we can do this, all of us, in the body of Christ. And I'm not saying that you have to spend a morning uh, and, and that you have to pray for every person in life church. But perhaps there are some people that God would put it on your heart to, to pray for. And let's look a little bit then at what Paul prays here uh, in this particular passage. All right. Let's just see what is it that Paul is asking God for uh, as he prays for this church here. And I want to pick out... A, a few things here and just share them with you. I believe that Paul is praying, first of all, for a deeper, fuller, richer experience of love. I believe this is what, what, what Paul wants. He says in verse 9, it is my prayer. Now understand, he's already said, I love you. I care for you. I yearn for you. I long for you. These are the kinds of words that are used in the various translations of verses 7 and 8. And then he comes back in verse 9. He says, now it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more 
with knowledge and all discernment. First of all here, I think, I think Paul is, is very much wanting us to capture and understand this, this dynamic of love that he is trying to, to pray into these people, if you will, all right? There, there are some who see this as, as a reference to the love which the Philippians would have for each other. And that, that, that's good. That's rightly so. And that is that Paul, Paul prayed that the Christians in Philippi would get along better, would love each other, their fellowship would be strengthened, uh, their love for each other would be deepened, all good stuff. Those are things that we would assume that this means. This is stuff that they are praying about. And it's very true that Jesus admonishes us. I don't want to miss this at all. Jesus admonishes us to love one another. John fifteen twelve. We are to love one another. Paul, when he wrote to the, the church at Thessalonica, he said, May the Lord cause you. In other words, may the, war, may the Lord push it on you. May he cause you to increase and abound in love for one another. All right? Um, so th- this is very much a piece of God's heart, is that you and I are loving one another. There is love flowing across the aisle, so to speak, here. All right? Um, and so that's a given, in a sense, that, that they need to grow in their love for one another. And while all of that is very real and very true, I, I, I think that Paul is going deeper here. I think Paul is reaching for more here uh, as he prays for the church at Philippi. It's not just their love for each other that he wants to increase, but I believe Paul wants their love for God to increase. I believe this is absolutely essential. You can't have one without the other. He wanted them very much to have a deeper love for God so that they would be able to endure more for his sake. So that that he understood this church and where it was located and what, what adversities would come against it, both on the outside and on the inside. And so he's praying for their love of God to increase because he knows that they need to be able to endure the things that will come before them. I think he wants them to have a much wider love, if you will, for God so that they will be able to embrace more of his kingdom. They will grow in the kingdom and the understanding of the kingdom and the ability to to promote the kingdom, praying for the kingdom to come. And I believe he wanted them to have a fuller love for God uh, so that they would be willing to risk more to accomplish his will. Now, I just I used three phrases there that I would like to to go back and rehearse to you together. And that is endure more, embrace more, risk more. I believe that this is a place of transition for life church as we're going forward. I believe that we as God's people are going to be called to endure more from outside of the church. But we're going to be called to embrace more as as we uh, push for the kingdom of God to be established. But I believe that's going to require us to risk more ourselves, both individually and corporately. As we move to a different facility and as we grow, continue to grow and and continue to grow more. All right. As God is is letting us abound in our growth, we're going to we're going to be noticed more. We're going to have the attention of the community more. Hopefully the attention of the community is going to come out of this. And that is our service to the community our service to those in the community who have particular needs. 
that we as a church become a valid piece of this community that makes such a difference that there will be people in places of influence in this city who will be convinced that it would not be good for Life Church to not exist in the city of Sioux Falls. Because we're making a difference. We're having an impact. We're reaching people that haven't been reached. We're touching people that maybe some thought were untouchable. We're offering healing and hope and love and forgiveness and grace in various areas of our city. And so as we transition more and more into a a middle-sized church and as we transition over into the other facility, it it is essential that we grow and abound in love. And that love has to begin with our love for the, fa- for the Father. Here's, here's what will happen, I'm afraid, if we don't do that. If we don't accomplish this, if we don't transition, and if we don't grow, if we don't transi- if we don't grow in our love for the Father, we're not going to transition well because we're going to displace our love. And we're going to start to love a building. And we're going to start to love programs. And we're going to start to love this and that and the other. And we're going to love our comfort. And we're going to love our ease. And we're going to love our affluence. And all these kinds of things. And when that is where we place our love, we have become an idolatrous, idolatrous church. Okay? In other words, we have idols. All right? We cannot afford to do that. We have to transition well. We have to move with our identity well. So that the love of the Father is the driving force and the motivator in all that we're doing. We're not going to... I'm sorry, but we are not going to a building just so we can feel good. We can't do that. And that is in all of us. That it, it's, you, sometimes you can feel it. It pulls at you. It, it, it has a, a draw. It has an allurement, you know. And you can, you can feel yourself going that way, especially in decision-making for the church and its future. You can feel yourself, oh, I'd like that. Oh, I want that. Oh, that'd be great. I wish we could do this. I wish we could be like this or that or the other. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. It's all good stuff. But is it the best for life, church? Is it where God wants us to be? And is it going to help us to fulfill our mission and to reach lost people in Sioux Falls and the world beyond, because that is our mission, to make disciples, okay? And so we, it's, it's absolutely essential that we are growing in this love one for another. So even though Jesus tells us to really work on our love for one another, I believe Paul's saying, yes, but, but you really need to work on your love for the Father, all right? Um, he wanted them to have this, all right? They that they already love God is evident. I don't want to mislead you here, all right? That they already love God. That's evident in their lives. That's evident in what Paul is saying is happening here. But Paul is praying that this love, this present love, might abound still more and more. That it, that it might flow out of abundance, if you will. That, that it might show a great increase. And I, and I would in no way say that Life Church is not a loving church and a generous church and a giving church and that we don't have a great love for God. We do. But can we abound? As we transition and as we, we move out here, can that love grow? Can it increase to, to a, a place where it is so evident that what is driving us is not our own personal desires or our ambitions or anything else as, as a body, but it is out of this amazing love of God the Father who first loved us and sent His Son to die for us. All right, That's where we want to land, if you will. That's where we want to camp, if you will. So we want this increase. But notice the limits that he kind of sets here, or how, how he packages this. 
He wanted their love for God to abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. He actually, he qualifies this love, if you will, uh, here. And he says, this is what I want. I want you to grow. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to do a, a little bit of word study with you here this morning because I think these, some of these words, it's really important to understand uh, how Paul was speaking here. And, and uh, this word for knowledge really does mean knowledge that's gained from personal experience. It's not it's actually contrasted, if you will, with an intuitive kind of knowledge. This is a knowledge that, that comes from, from personal experience, like, like on-the-job training, so to speak. Okay? Uh, this, and, and, and the word for discernment here uh, means the ability to apply that knowledge that's gained in the personal experience in practical details of living. So, so, so what Paul said was that he wants their love for God to abound but he wants it to overflow, and then he wants them to take that overflow and harness it, if you will, and, and to bring it within knowledge and discernment and use it for the glory of God. And, and we need to understand that what Paul is, is, is saying here is, is I, I'm talking about you loving God, but I'm not talking about this, this kind of feely, touchy, emotional, let's get all excited kind of love here. Nothing wrong with that either on some levels, but he's saying, hey, I want this, this dynamic of love to abound. I want you to put a harness around it. I want you to use it. I want it to drive you. I, I want it to take you forward here. I want you to be able to utilize this love, and this love is going to be driven by discernment and wisdom and knowledge and understanding. And as it does, you will make good decisions. You will make good judgments. You will live in my perfect and pleasing will. The, the gospel will go further. It will go broader. It will go deeper than it ever has. And as we transition to this new location over the next several months. May we, Life Church, may, may we transition in our capacity to love God and to love the lost in such a way that it, 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 it compels us to go into the streets with the gospel. Now, here's, let, let's expose something here for us. We are, we are safe people for the most part. All right, you can you can have all other kinds of identifiers as you sit here about yourself, but collectively we tend to be a safe people. We tend to be a bit conservative in in, in that respect and safe. We don't like to take risk. That's that's not the way a lot of you are wired. And here's here's the lie of the devil. If you go out and share the gospel in the neighborhood, you're going to get caught. You're going to get in trouble. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get used. Somebody's going to take advantage of you. It's not going to be good. It's, it's, it's going to be disastrous. The church is going to fold. I mean, I've heard all these things. All right? So I, I, I'm, these are quotes, folks. This is not me making up a list here for the sake of having a list. We cannot afford... To throw away our confidence, we will lose the reward of God. We cannot afford to shrink back. We cannot be driven by fear. 
You've not been given the spirit of fear, but of love and soundness of mind and soul. Okay. But this is, this is the driving force of life, church. This is the dynamic of life, church. It has to be. It has to stay that way. And we have to cultivate it. We have to, we have to continue to grow in this love as we move. And this love... It increases just as glory under glory and faith under faith and revelation under revelation. This love grows, if you will. And it propels us into the streets for the work of the gospel. And here's what it's going to do. With, and please, please get this now because this is what tears down the deceptions that the enemy puts in our, our brain and the false thinking of how we're going to get destroyed if we try to bring the gospel into the neighborhood. He's saying, I want your love to abound. I want it to grow and grow and grow. And how I want it to do that is in wisdom and discernment. Folks, collectively, we're going to put our heads and hearts together and we're going to come up with the best possible ways, not only in-house but out-of-house, working with other agencies and other ministries to do the best possible job we can of reaching the lost in our neighborhood. Dealing with all kinds of needs and issues. We're, we're all going to do this together in such a way that we're going to be helpful and not harmful. But we're going to be effective rather than ineffective. And you don't have to worry. Listen, Pastor Dave and I have pastored you for a few years now. We haven't bankrupted you yet. We haven't thrown you in the river and left you to sink. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to trust us 100%, but could you trust us a good ways here? And more than trust us, would you trust the God who leads us? All right? Would you put your trust and your hope in Jesus? And then would you let the love of God move us? And that's what we want to do with you. We want to take you to this place where we are building on this dynamic of love, and it is increasing as we go. But we are seeing ourselves grow in knowledge and in discernment. In other words, we're doing it with much wisdom and much understanding as we go forward. Amen? Amen. That's the way we want to transition. We want to transition over. We want to do it with wisdom and with discernment under this banner of love. The second thing I want to bring out that I think he prayed here in this passage is this. He prayed for them to have sort of like this ability to, to evaluate and discern life. All right? So it builds right on what he just prayed here. Um, but but he, he says, I, I want you to be able to approve the things that are excellent. And, and this is sort of like a honed skill. This is something that, that comes with time and it comes with experience. But the love of God, which he, he, here's what, let, let's understand this about, about the, the, the love of God. As we are growing in the love of God and, and God's love is increasing in us, there's something that's going on. That can't happen unless you get close to God. When, when do I not feel love with my wife? It's when I have disengaged myself or disconnected myself or moved away from her. And I'll guarantee you something. Not only do I feel it, she feels it far more than I do. And it's not pleasant. It's not fun. All right? When you disengage from God and you step back from God and you go your own way you you are putting this gulf between you and God but when you abound in love when your love is increasing that is because you are close you are connected 
with God, all right? And as your love is growing, as your love is abounding, what is happening is you are getting more and more of the spirit and the mind of Christ. The life of Christ is growing in you. Matter of fact, it's growing in you to the degree that you are beginning to change. This is when you become more like him. This is when you become more like Jesus, okay? So, he, he is saying here, I want you to hone this ability to, to evaluate and to discern life. I want you to be able to approve all things that are excellent. And, 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 the, and the word there for approve actually means to put something through a test um, with, with, with the idea of looking towards it to approve it, all right? It, it, it's, it's very much a word that was used in, in, in uh, the day for um, assaying metals to determine their worth, to look at them and to, to try to determine what their value or what their worth is. So Paul is saying, I want you to be able to look at life as you're abounding in the love of God and as you're increasing in knowledge and discernment, then you can look at life and you can begin to determine what is valuable in life, what is, what is excellent. And that, that word for excellent there really means things that differ. Isn't that strange? Things, things that pull in opposite directions, if you will. All right? You need to be able to look at things around you. You need to be able to look at things that are different. Paul is praying for this church, these Christians at Philippi, and he's saying, I want you to be able to apply spiritual tests, if you will, to, to different views, different appeals, different attitudes, different actions, different circumstances, different things, if you will, that are around you. And I want you to be able to discern which ones are best. Which ones really have value? And, and honestly, I don't think here he's really talking about, I want you to be able to know what's the worst and the most awful as opposed to what is the best. I think he's saying, church at Philippi, you're believers. You love God. You're in sync with what God is doing. You're building a church here. But there are some good things out there and there are some noble things out there. But what I want you to do is I want you to be able to discern what is my best and most perfect will for you. I want you to discern what it is I want for you in this season. The sons of Issachar in the Old Testament, they knew the season in which or the time in which they lived. But it also says, and they knew what to do. There's a lot of people who are are pronosticators and forecasters. I know what's coming and I know what's out there. I know where we're at. I know how we're living. But they have no answers. God has answers. And as we are seeking God for His will in such a transitional period of time, it's absolutely essential that we know what is the best or the more excellent over just the good. This is, this is essential for us, if you will, all right? Um, one translation of Scripture says, I want you to be able always to recognize the highest and the best. Another says, I pray that you may have a sense of what is vital. We need to know what is absolutely vital for Life Church as we are going forward. But not only do we need to know what's vital for Life Church, we're going to know that when we understand what's vital for the neighborhood. And what's vital for the city and, and for the other places that we're going. We've got to be able to see what is it that God is wanting to do. What, what is this season for this situation that we are in? And what do we do with this? And as we learn to, 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 to discern, as we, as, we, as we 
uh, assess things out of the knowledge and the discernment that God has given us because we have given ourselves to him and we love him deeply and we're spending time with him and so we have his mind, it's all going to make sense and, and God is going to give us success in what we do. The world, folks, the world is, it has been, it is, and it has been likened to, to a shop window. Uh, and and it, it's like, it's like a, a window where someone comes in and, and it's like a, a little kid is with them and all of a sudden a little kid changes all the price tags on everything. And things that were cheap are now expensive and things that were expensive are now cheap and we don't have a value system. It's all messed up. That's the way our world is now. Everything's been been all skewed here and, and confused, all right? And so we've got to understand value. And that starts back in this place of abounding in love. It starts with you understanding the value of Almighty God, but also that you understand the value that God has placed on you. It's difficult in this age to know the value of things anymore, but I want you to understand your value as we are going forward. And I want to talk to you for just a minute about that. Um, a number of years ago, I worked in middle management for uh, a retail company. The, the one I worked for happened to be JCPenney, but there were a number of, of such companies that had the same kind of layout and design in their stores, and they sold the same kind of merchandise. So in a lot of these department-type stores, if you went to the center of the store, you generally found the jewelry department. It was always, almost always, center to the rest of the store. And, uh, and I, uh, I didn't work in the jewelry department. I ran a couple, managed a couple of other uh, departments in the store. Uh, but I, I talked often to the people uh, in the jewelry store. And, and my wife and I, this was many, 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 many years ago, we were deciding to buy a ring for me, uh, which happens to be this ring. This ring has um, some stones inside of it. And so I was talking to them about the stones and how you decide if a stone is good or bad or what do you, what, how do you know about stones and all that. I knew nothing. And, um, and so the lady was talking to me, and, and she, she said, well, this stone has this rating, and so it's valued here. It's valued for clarity and other things, you know. And so it, it is in this range of money here. This one is over here. Uh, if you really want a nice one, this way over here, you know, we were way over here, and I was very comfortable just staying right there, all right? And I, but, but in that place, I looked at her, and I said, so who decides this? Who decides? I mean, you're telling me because this has so much clarity. All right, well, who decides the clarity, and who decides the, the amount, and all of this stuff? And she said, in all honesty, value is decided by how much you find out someone is willing to pay for it. That's, that, that's, what, that's what determines value. A number of years ago, there was a, um, a book written called Honor. And uh, in that book, the writer talks about a situation where a woman and her husband were having a garage sale. The husband had bought a motorcycle, an old, rusty beat-up motorcycle. He was going to restore it, he thought, and so he bought it, and he just stuck it in the garage, and it sat there for years and years and years. Um, most of you have something in your garage like that somewhere, or, or in your Quonset or somewhere, you know, you have them all over. But um, she finally decided to have the, the garage sale, and, and she said, you know what, you haven't restored that, that 
motorcycle, or that piece of a motorcycle, and uh, it's really bothering me. And uh, it was a Harley-Davidson motorcycle. It had the, the logo on it, but it was all rusted, and it wouldn't run, you know, or anything. And um, she said, if, if you can't get that taken care of or get it out of here by the time I start the, the garage sale kind of thing, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in a garage sale. Someone came along, he, he, he put a canvas over it and hit it. You know, someone came along and looked at it, and, uh, and uh, they saw it, and, and they said, I, I, I'd like to buy that. And um, he said, no, it's not for sale. They offered him a lot of money. He goes, no, it's, it's not for sale. Finally, someone from Harley-Davidson, actually, because this guy went back, cause he happened to be uh, someone who was employed uh, there, and he went back and explained the, the bike and all of that. And the guy calls and says, we'll give you this much money. It was an unbelievable sum of money. And the guy goes, what makes this bike so valuable to you? And he goes, well, it's really not the bike. It's the person who owned it. It was owned by Elvis Presley. And then it went missing. And obviously it's, you know, deteriorated. But the value was there because of the person who owned it. Do you not know that you were bought with a price? You belong to Jesus. He gave his everything for you. God sent his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. There is so much value in this room right here, right now. No price can be put on it. Nothing. The value that is illuminating from this room spiritually in the heavens right now is phenomenal. And I want you, as you and I transition to a middle-sized church and to another location and, and all the other transitions that are coming with that work, I want you and I to understand the place of value we have in the kingdom of God and in the economy of God. And I want our faith to rise out of that. I want us to begin to live out of who we are, not who we think we are or who someone has said we are or what we might feel like we are. Life is filled with difficult decisions daily. Every day we face a myriad of choices in our lives. And some of them are not just between good and bad, but they are between good and better. They're between better and best. And it's not always easy to decide the direction to take. But if you will take direction and you will make decision based on your value in the kingdom of God over values in this world, you're more likely to make the right decision rather than the wrong decision. And I want you and I to get a sense of what is vital. And I think that how we see ourselves, the identity that we see ourselves in, makes a huge difference in our choices and our selections. And we need to be able to see ourselves as having been bought with such a price that there is nothing more valuable than we are. And here's what I want you to do is translate that then to say, you know what, God put such a value on me. And I have received it. And I'm living in it and I'm walking in it. But that one hasn't received it yet out there. And I'm going to go because this is the most amazing thing in all the world. And I'm going to share this price paid. And that's what we're going to be as a church. We're going to be a church that has a huge ticket. And we're going to give it to the neighborhood. And it's going to be stamped paid in full. 
You don't have to earn it. You don't have to get it any other way. And we're going to do that because we're able to recognize the highest and the best that God has for us. As we, um, as we transition here, collectively, we need a, a great ability to distinguish between good and best. We need a deep understanding of God's Word, and, and that will allow us to have a sharper judgment and discernment And that will help us to transition well in the coming months when we are making various decisions about where we are going and what we are doing. The other thing I want to bring to you this morning, and that is that I believe Paul prayed for a very very honest and a very sincere example of living. He says that you may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. And, And this word pure here is, is unique. It has several possible different derivations to it, if you will. Um, it, it, the most likely, like, literal translation to this is tested by sunshine. <laughs> that seems really strange, but let me explain it to you. In the days of Christ, when when vessels were made, in particular porcelain vessels were made, uh, the, the pottery would often break or crack. Um, when that happened, they would mend the, the smaller cracks, the, especially the hairline type things. They would mend them. They would do it with wax. And, and sometimes when you would look at a vase, you would not know that it had been cracked out during the, the refinement process, Okay. Uh, and so you could buy something that maybe you didn't want, all right? The only sure way to be able to know whether the particular type of of pottery um, had been patched or not was to hold it up to the sunlight. So when you held it up to the sunlight, you could see the the wax spots, and they would show, they they would reflect the sun, if you will. So that wax would become immediately visible. Um, and so when the objects were not patched, that is, um, when, when, when they were pure uh, and, and uh, they had gone through the fire well, um, then the, the merchant would advertise them as being, there's two words, sinesira, sinesira, meaning without wax. Uh, and that's where we get our word sincere. Okay. So to, to, to be sincere means to, to, put in, uh, to be pure enough to stand the test, if you will. All right? And, you know, the tendency for us is going to be, we're Life Church, we're growing. We're, we're doing more, we're getting bigger. We're getting better. Some of us are probably even want to say we're better than some of the other churches. You don't mean, I mean, you don't mean to do that, but you know, the heart is wicked. Who can know it? You know? David said one day, he goes, he goes so if we got to be a, a, like a 300 or 400 member church, um, what, would, what, what would you like about that the most? And I said, well, I pray to God it would not be that I am now a good pastor. 
And he goes, really, you know what? We've got to be careful, don't we? And he's more afraid of pride than I am. But, it's, but I, I'm telling you, we cannot become a prideful church as we grow and as we find expansion and, and other means of how the world views success uh, a part of, of our DNA. That, that, we got we to gotta take that out. We've got we to gotta flush ourselves. We've got to purge ourselves constantly because that isn't our true DNA. All right? Our DNA is glorify God by making disciples in our neighborhood and beyond. And so this other stuff can't, it, it can't be in there. So, so we've constantly got to be able to let God put us up in the, in the sunlight. And we've got to be pure. We've got to be pure. We've got to be, be blameless before God. Folks, none of us can do that alone. None of us can do that by ourselves. But, but we need to be able to do that because, number one, we need to be able to, to um, discriminate between good and best, between better and best. We've got to give our attention to those things that are very excellent and very wonderful. We've got to be able to discern between the good and the bad. Uh, and and, and we've got to experience this deeper love of God. And we cannot do that if we are not honest and sincere before God and before one another. And this is, I think this is why Paul prays this right here. It fits in with all this other stuff. To do what he's, to, to, to be an answer to this prayer. We have to be blameless. We, we have to be able um, to, to not be scandalous. That's one of the, 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 the words used uh, here. We, 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 we have to be uh, those who are not in an entrapment to others. All right? You know, we're, we're oftentimes worried about getting trapped. You know, I don't want to be subject to the snaller, uh, to the, uh, yeah, the, the snare of the fowler. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to be the one who's caught in the trap. I don't want to be, be in that place. But here's what we fail to do. Oftentimes we fail to realize that we might be in some scandalous way. We might be the person that does the tripping. And so we need to be careful. We need to be careful in that place. Where, where are you living? Where are you, where, where is your life? And if you are loving God and that love is abounding and abounding and abounding, then there is this work constantly going on of us being uh, transformed and being more like Jesus. Last thing, and I'll let you go here this morning. I think that Paul sort of closed this up with a, with a final piece of the prayer in verse 11. He said, I want you to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. You know, there's a lot of us, we want to hold on to our roots. We want to, we want to talk a lot about where we come from. And, and there's nothing wrong with heritage. There's nothing wrong with history. I'm all for that. But I want to tell you something. The, the key piece is not where you come from. But it, so it's not your roots, it's your fruit. It, it's, it's what you're producing. It's what's coming out of you. All right? And, and I, I believe that the desire of God is that every one of us are producing fruit in our lives that will bring Him glory. Not just producing fruit, but producing fruit that will bring Him glory. We magnify God when, when we glorify Him with every part of our lives. That means that, that we're doing good service. That means that we are bearing out a, a good testimony. That means that, that we are, are working hard and diligent. That means that we are praying 
for the kingdom. That means that our families are a reflection of, of God's heart and God's concern. That means that, that, that we are bearing this kind of fruit that when people see this fruit, even from a distance, they know that, wow, that's beyond that person. That's God. That can be nothing but God. There's a story told of a group of boys, and they went out, just kind of young, young boys, and they were going to do some things that they shouldn't do, and one of the boys resisted uh, the pressure, and the pressure got more, and, you know, it, these guys started teasing him, and they called him a scaredy cat. They said, you're just afraid that your father is going to find out, and he will hurt you, boy. He will hurt you bad. And this little boy said, no, I am not afraid that if he finds out that it will hurt, he will hurt me. I'm afraid that if he finds out, it will hurt him. Boom. That's where we got to land. That's where we got to live. I don't want to create a body of believers who live in the fear of judgment. That is not life-giving. All right? That's why we're not a church of the law. We're a church of Jesus Christ who came to fulfill the law. But we are not of the law. The law alone by itself will kill. All right? But we are life-giving. We flourish here. We flourish in the life that Jesus came to give us. But we live in the context of God's laws. And we live in the boundaries that God has presented to us in His Word. We magnify Him and we glorify Him with every part of our lives, all right? So our attention then here is is that we are living a life of honor to God and, and glory to God. And righteousness produces that kind of fruit. So the big question in closing here is, how do we do that? How can we live and glorify God? I think that this element here of, of glorifying God flows out of the other three. We bring glory to God out of verse 11 because we have exhibited in our lives the kind of holiness that can be described as sincere and, and, and without blame, according to verse 10. And that's because we exhibit this holiness in our lives by discerning, being, being discerning, having discernment uh, of the opportunities that are put before us. Of, of, of giving ourselves to the very best that God has in front of us. That's all in verse 10. And that comes back to verse 9 where we are able to determine the best because of God's love for us because we are abounding in that love because we are in relationship with Him. And so if you want this, this sort of fuller experience of love that, that God has for us, that's going to require a relationship. It's going to require you and I living attached to him. We can't, we can't do all of this that is in this prayer without that, okay? Um, some of you, maybe you've heard of uh, Poor Richard's Almanac. There's, there's progressive uh, fairy tales and stuff too where you have things and they're all dependent on the other. So one thing has to happen for the next thing to happen, that sort of thing. Um, and one of the stories uh, that's attached to Poor Richard's Almanac is, uh, uh, this is actually a little poem, and you can find it in other places too, um, it says, a little neglect may breed mischief. For want of a nail, you'll, you'll recall this from a childhood probably. For want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the war was lost. All for the want of a nail. All for the want of a nail. Well, why are you sharing that, Pastor? 
I think this is the first time I've ever shared four points in a poem in my life. <laughs> but here's what I want you to understand, all right? There, there is some truth here because oftentimes we as God people, are, we are trying to get to that place. We're trying to get to spiritual success. We're trying to get to a place in God. We're trying to get to something that we feel like we need, but we're all doing it in the wrong way are in the wrong timing. We're missing the progression. We're not following the progression of God. We want, we want to arrive first, and then we'll figure out how to get there afterwards. And that's a dangerous place for us to be. And in transition, I believe we have to do exactly what Paul is praying here progressively for these Christians at Philippi. And I, I, believe, I believe that this is why when, when someone asked Jesus what was the greatest commandment that ever was? He began with this, Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment. It begins with love. It begins with love. And it is no ordinary love. It is an extraordinary love. And, and, and we will do transitions in any area of our lives, folks, when we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. And until we, until we begin there in that place, all the rest is useless. All the rest is, is vain or, or hopeless along the way. You can be mature. You can grow. You can be successful spiritually. You can do something great for God. You can be effective in the kingdom. You can go around the world and share the gospel, but only if you begin in the love of the Father. And that love defines you and settles you before you ever do anything else. And from there, knowledge and discernment and wisdom will come into your life. And you will be able to evaluate and see what is best over what is just good. And you will be able to live out of that choices of righteousness and holiness and goodness for the kingdom of God. Amen? It is love. Nikki, will you come, please? Nikki's going to share the gospel with you and wrap this up today. So what is this good news which leads us to change lives of love? Um, it is that God loved us, um, that God acts for us for a relationship with us. God did not leave the world in its pain and brokenness, um, but God took all of this and the sin that causes pain and brokenness into the very life of God through Jesus, and God dealt with it. Um, Jesus lived a completely human life, Jesus knows our struggle um, in every way, but he did not sin. This Jesus died and was raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in his death and resurrection, we are forgiven of our sins and have the hope of being raised to life when Jesus returns to restore and heal the, the earth. It is by trusting in this Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit that we can have relationship with God and others and have lives changed. Um, it is by receiving this Holy Spirit that we can be holy. Um, so if this is new to you, if this is something you haven't heard before, um, we'll have people come up. Um, you can ask questions. You can pray. Um, otherwise, 
I'm going to close this out, and you can leave quietly. Um, so Holy Spirit, we humbly invite you to move and heal and to change lives, um, that people may trust Jesus and be brought home to the Father. Um, we pray that you would make us holy. We pray that you would help us to love others as you've loved us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.